is to know and do God's will, right? Now that can seem like a daunting task, an incredible challenge, but we need to remember that that's God's desire for us. God's not trying to keep you in the dark concerning His will. He wants you to know His will and empower you to do His will. But we, we struggle in that process, but there's a reason for it, which I'll, I'll illustrate at the end of my message today. Jesus set an example for us in His desire to do the will of God. He said in uh, John chapter 6, For I have come down from heaven to do the will of Him who sent me. We find in Matthew at the end of that book that Jesus is in the garden of Gethsemane. He's got to, about to go to the cross. And he said, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. In the Sermon on the Mount, he said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. So Jesus understood this idea of knowing and doing the will of God. Well, how do you do that? Well, I want you to open your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 3, a very familiar passage. There are two verses that I want to just drill down and talk about some specific words in that passage that will guide us and help us in learning and doing the will of God. We're all praying, we're fasting as it relates to our generation's commitments. We're trying to discern the will of God, but there are many other things going on in our lives where we need to know and do God's will. Not just about this, but things that you're going through right now, I'm going through. Now here are these words from Proverbs 3. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not rely on your own understanding. Think about Him in all your ways and He will guide you on the right paths. Okay, so how do we know the will of God? Number one, maybe the most important point I make today is to consider the character of God. You want to consider the character of God. I'm placing my trust in someone. Now who am I going to place my trust in? I'm placing my trust in trying to figure out this life, listen, and the life to come. So who's going to help me understand what this life is all about? And who's going to help me understand what the next life is all about? Well, I better make sure that I can trust them. Now, why can we trust God? It's because of His character. Notice he says, trust in the Lord. If you're going to place your trust somewhere, you want to place it in the Lord. Well, who is the Lord? Well, the Bible teaches us, first of all, that God is love. He is our Heavenly Father, and He wants His best for us. So we can trust Him as one who is a God of love, the characteristic of one who is love. It is for our good, whatever He is doing through His will for us. Secondly, God is all-knowing. Uh, we use the word omniscient. It means He's all-knowing. His will is always right. It's not just best, but it is right. It is true. Therefore, I can trust His character in His truthfulness. Also, God is all-powerful. He is omnipotent. That means that I can trust His power to enable me to do His will. It's one thing to know His will, 
But sometimes we feel that there's no way I can possibly do what God has asked me to do. God will never ask you to do anything that he's not already empowered you to do. You can trust his character in knowing that he's given me the power to do what I'm going to do. So God calls us into relationship. He equips us into that relationship and empowers us to be able to do, to know and to do his will. Notice also God's plan is perfect as we think about his character. The psalmist writes in Psalm 139, David says, All my days were written in your book and planned before a single one of them began. Now I could drop an anchor here on Sanctity of Life Sunday on this chapter and on this one verse, but we'll get to that a little bit later. Hebrews 12:1. The writer says, Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, that is marked out for us. Now a couple of things about God's will you need to understand. We're often guilty of praying, Lord, what is your will for my life? Now, I think God understands that, but that's really not correct. What we need to be praying is, God, what is your will? Period. What is your will? Then how do I get in on that? How do I adjust my life to your will? And that becomes God's will for your life. So I need to know what is God's will. What is God doing in his salvation history? What's the big redemptive story that God is doing as we go from Genesis to Revelation? And then how do I fit into that? What is my part in helping fulfill what God is trying to do uh, through his salvation story? And so we're, we're praying in that way. So there is a race that's marked out by God, the big race. But then there's one that's specifically for you and for me. So we can trust God because his plan is perfect. Also, God's plan will last to the end. Paul says in Philippians, He who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. It begins at salvation. That's regeneration. That's the new birth that is being born again. And then that salvation is worked out. I'm growing and maturing in my faith. That's the process of what we call sanctification. But it's going to be completed at the end, at the day of Christ Jesus. When Christ comes again, that's glorification. So we see that process that what he has begun to do in your life in salvation, I can trust him, his character, that he's going to make good on it. He's going to see it fulfilled to the very end. Everybody else is making promises they can never fulfill. It, 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 they fail us. So many have failed us in the promises that they have made. That what they began, they did not complete. They did not finish. But not God. We can trust His character. Notice also God will choose the best things for us. You want to experience the best in life? Well, I can trust his character that he will provide that. That is how I can know his will and experience his will is the fact that he wants to give his best. That's his character. Now, the very familiar passage, Psalm 23, we studied this in detail this last year, I believe, or year before. But let's, let's remind ourselves of God's best. David says, The Lord is my shepherd. There is nothing I lack. He lets me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. 
He renews my life. He leads me along the right paths for His name's sake. That is for His glory. Even when I go through the darkest valley, I fear no danger, no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Only goodness and faithful love will pursue me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord as long as I live. God chooses the best things for us. We can trust Him to give that to us. The fruit of the Spirit reveals the character of Christ. The gifts of the Spirit are those spiritual abilities, supernatural abilities that God gives us. We don't all have all the gifts. God has uniquely given each of us a certain number of gifts at the point of salvation. When we receive the Holy Spirit into our lives at salvation, then we get the spiritual gifts. But the fruit of the Spirit is something that every Christian has. And the fruit of the Spirit is the character of Christ. And this is how Paul explained it in Galatians 5. But the fruit of the Spirit, the character of Christ, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faith, gentleness, self-control. And wouldn't it be wonderful if we all exercised the fruit of the Spirit, the character of Christ? But we have that ability. We have the character of Christ in us. He lives within us. And we've been empowered by the Spirit to live that out. So you can trust the Lord. Trust the Lord. If I want to know His will, I need to make sure I'm placing my trust in somebody who is qualified to lead me. And only Christ is qualified to do that. You can trust His will. Notice secondly, seek to submit your will to His will. Now this is where it hits the road, right? This is the crosshairs. Uh, this is where the crossroads are in life. Where we have to decide, am I really going to play this thing of religion or am I going to be serious about it? Which means I must submit my will to the will of God. Notice he says in verse 5, first word, trust. The idea of trust is about submission to him. Somebody will say, but I have the right Well, you gave up your rights when you came to Christ. He owns you now. He is your master. We serve Him. But listen, it's for our own good. Because He's our Heavenly Father. He loves us. He knows what is best and will give us His best. But our attitude is critical. It's the idea of submitting, of trusting, but doing it with the right attitude. It it doesn't help you if you have a bad attitude about trusting or submitting to Him. David said this in Psalm 40, verse 8. I delight to do your will, my God. I delight. I may not understand it. I may not like it. I may not necessarily want it from my earthly perspective. But I must get to the place where I delight to do it. And the more you are submissive to God and you're fulfilling the will of God, then you understand why David is saying this. Because when we do God's will, there is a peace that He can give us. No, He didn't do what I thought He was going to do, but because I'm submitting to what He has declared and decreed that I must do, I should do, then I experience His joy. 
The idea of submission is a tough one. It's against our nature, isn't it? A child doesn't want to obey its parents. Why? That's their default. It's a sin nature. We all have that problem. I've said before, when I get backed into a corner, I really want things to go my way. When everybody's got their opinion and, and I'm pushed to make a decision, I tend to want things to go my way. Why? Because that's my default. That's my sinful nature. A student doesn't want to obey the teacher. An employee doesn't want to obey the employer. Why? That's their default. That's their sinful nature. And that's why every person has a sinful nature. Good people don't go to heaven if their sin nature has not been dealt with. Because sin separates us from God. And so, as again, C.S. Lewis said, pride is the great sin of man. And that, therefore, we have to submit to God in order to experience His favor, His blessing, and to know His will. Paul talks about this struggle that we have in Romans 7. The things I don't want to do, I do. And the things I should do, I don't do. Oh, wretched man that I am. He's writing as a believer. Who will rescue me? Then he says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ. So it's normal for us to be in this struggle. Paul demonstrates the struggle. But ultimately, I have to be rescued from me. That's what Paul is saying. He delivers us salvation. I'm saved from me so that I'm able to do the will of the Father. James 4, 7. Therefore, submit to God, but resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Notice he says, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Now, we often quote the last two phrases. Resist the devil, he will flee from you. Draw near to God, he will draw near to you. But it all begins with that one word, submit. None of that will happen unless we submit to God. So I start by submitting to God. Then I am able to resist the devil. If I'm not submissive to God, the devil's going to eat my lunch. I have no power over him. You have no power over him. That I won't experience the nearness of God, though he is there, that it won't be applicable in the problems I'm dealing with because I've not submitted my will to his will. That's where it has to start. Notice third, and I'm trying to know and do God's will, your conscience is given to be an interpreter of God's will. How do I know that what I'm sensing is God's will? Now, God has given us three great revelations of Himself. The first one is in creation. We call that uh, general revelation. And He explains it in this verse, Romans 1.20. Paul writes, From the creation of the world, His invisible attributes that is, His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood through what He has made. As a result, all people are without excuse. Now notice again what He says here. From the creation of the world, His invis invisible attributes. What are His invisible attributes? Eternal power and divine nature, His existence. If I want to see power... And I want to know that God exists. I look at what he's made. And I'm able to see. Philosophers have different uh, arguments. The ontological argument is that there is a watch. Therefore, there's a watchmaker. And so, uh, it makes sense, doesn't it? There, there is something that is orderly. Therefore, there must be someone who has put it into order. 
there's creation. And so there must be a creator. I, I see that. And, and in that, we're able to see the internal, uh, the invisible attributes of God so that no man is without excuse. Now, that doesn't keep us uh, from sharing the gospel. That, that's our responsibility of being a witness for Christ, as Jesus clearly explains. But God has revealed himself through creation. The second revelation is what we call specific or special revelation, and that is Jesus Christ. John 1 John writes, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then in verse 14, he says, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the only begotten of the Father. So we're able to see God through the special revelation of Jesus Christ. All right, now the third revelation of God, how do I know Him, is through my conscience. That his spirit bears witness with my spirit. And so that's what we call conviction. That I'm able to know right and wrong because God is revealing himself. Though I may not understand it totally, but God is revealing whether there's something inside of me that knows that there's a right, there's something that's right and something is wrong. We see that uh, in, in our heart. He says, trust him with all your heart. Now notice also God's word connects you with the mind of God. This is a very important point that I want to make. God's word connects you with the mind of God if you want to know his will and do his will. Notice he says in verse 5, do not rely on your own understanding, meaning you need to have God's understanding. All right, you're going to trust him and you can know his will, but you've got to know the mind of God. Studying the word of God positions you to know the mind of God. Therefore, you're able to know His will. As I said earlier, God is omniscient. He knows all things. But you and I are limited in our understanding. God is not. So, the Word reveals His mind, His will to us. In the book of Ezekiel, in the Bible Initiative, I taught this and discovered that uh, Ezekiel says, The Word of the Lord came to me. Okay, simple enough. But you know how many times he says that? 47 times. The word of the Lord came to me. The word of the Lord came to me. The word of the Lord came to me. Now, that doesn't happen to us in hearing the word of the Lord come to us. But God has given us his word. That's how the word of the Lord comes to you. He's given us all the revelation of himself through the word. There won't be anything added to his scripture that has been given to us. And so I'm able to understand his mind that I'll have understanding. Don't rely on your own understanding. Have God's understanding. Now, Psalm 119 is one of the longest chapters in the Bible. I'm not gonna, I don't have time to read all of it and 150 verses. But it's all about the word of God. He uses different words, decrees, precepts, the law. But I want to highlight a few verses that will help prove this point of why it's important that we know the Word of God as He's revealing His will to us. Verse 2, happy are those who keep His decrees, His Word, and seek Him with all their heart. Verse 9, how can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping your Word. Verse 11, I have treasured your Word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Verse 18, 
Open my eyes so that I may see wonderful things in your law. Verse 25. My life is down in the dust. Give me life through your word. Verse 34. Help me understand your instruction and I will obey it and follow it with all my heart. Verse 49. Remember your word to your servants. You have given me hope through it. This is my comfort in my affliction. Your promise has given me life. Verse 66, teach me good judgment and discernment, for I rely on your commands. You want good judgment, good, good uh, discernment? It comes from his word. Verse 81, I put my hope in your word. Verse 104, I gain understanding from your precepts, therefore I hate every false way. Verse 105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Verse 130, the revelation of your words brings light and gives understanding to the inexperienced. All right, what does he say? Lean not, don't rely on your own understanding, but rely on his understanding that has come to us through the word of God. Now, here's a very important point. What you put in your mind will directly affect the way you live. What you put in your mind will directly affect the way that you live. Richard Foster said this, We must once again emphasize that the ingrained habits of thought that are formed will conform to the order of the thing being studied. What we study determines what kind of habits are to be formed. What are you putting in your mind? If I'm putting the Word of God in my mind, my life will be ordered around that which I'm allowing into my mind. Now, I'm not against reading books about, you know, the things of life that we experience and all of that. But listen, so many people, so many believers are missing the will of God because of what they're putting in their mind and what they're not putting in their mind. So what I put in my mind will determine the way in which I live. It's important to remember the purpose of the Word of God. Why am I allowing this to get into my mind? Paul writes in 2 Timothy, All Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be thoroughly, thoroughly equipped for every good work. So Foster says this, Note that the central purpose is not doctrinal purity, though that is no doubt involved, of course it's important, but inner transformation. When we come to the scripture, we come to be changed, not to amass information. So God's word connects you to the will of God, to the mind of God, so that I can know and do His will. Notice next, be sensitive to the place where God continually places you. What does he say? Verse 6. Think about him in all your ways. Whatever you're doing, wherever you are, in essence what he means, you think about him. You consider him. Ask God how you can be used in light of your trials right now. In light of your talents, your abilities. In light of your treasures 
in light of the world's needs, in light of this church needs, this church's needs, how can you be used in the light of what you're doing and where you are right now? Look, this is the time, this is the season for us to know and do the will of God in taking a step of faith and obedience. 25 years ago, there were a group of believers, some are in this room right now, who came to understand the will of God and acted in obedience. Now is our time. You need to be asking, God, in light of my place, my time, what you've entrusted to me, what is your will? And God will reveal that to you. Notice finally the promise, verse 6. He will guide you on the right paths. Isn't that great? He will guide me. He'll guide you in the way in which you should go, the direction that you need in life, which means you can know his will. You can accomplish his will, and you'll be blessed for doing his will. So ask yourself these questions. Do I really want to know God's will or his stamp of approval? Have you noticed that people will come and seek your advice, but they already have their mind made up? They just want you to, yeah, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. I feel that sometimes in counseling, you know. They don't really want to know what God is saying. So do we really want to know God's will or his stamp of approval on what we believe is right? Do I really want to know God's will to obey it or consider it? Well, I'll think about it. I'll negotiate. I'll wait on it. I'll wait on it. Well, if you're a, college, if you're a high school student and you're thinking about going to college, you're going to ask other people what they, their advice would be. And that's normal, and you should do that. And they're going to give you an opinion. You're going to consider their opinion. You don't consider his opinion. God may speak to them, but ultimately, you have to discern, is that God speaking? i got to know, is this God? Is this His will? Is this what He's saying? And, and I, don't, I don't consider it in the sense that I can debate about it, negotiate, or put it off. Now, there are five responses when God reveals His will to you. Number one is you can refuse His will. Like the rich young ruler, Jesus said, here's what you need to do. And the Bible says he walked away grieving. He refused to do it. Now, if you walk away from God's will, you'll, you'll come to a point of grief at some point. That will happen. Secondly, you can be rebellious like Judas. I'm just not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. Judgment day is coming. So, you know, I'm not a prophet or a son of a prophet, but I know what the Bible says. And it says that, that okay, we, we can dis, dis, disobey God's will, but there are intended consequences and unintended consequences that we'll face. Third, you can be reluctant, like Jonah. I think the big picture, Jonah was trying to do the, big, the right thing. He wanted to do God's will. But when God said, go to Nineveh, he said, oh, I don't know about that. I love you, Lord. I, 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 you know, it's probably the right thing to do, but... I don't know about me doing that. Well, he had to get worked over until he finally came to understand. He was reluctant. 
Or you can be repentant. Maybe you missed God's will. You disobeyed. You chose not to. But you can repent of that sin. And God is a God of forgiveness and a God of a second chance like David and Peter. Two great examples. How they did God's will, but they only could do it after they repented of not doing His will. Or you could be ready to do His will. Like Isaiah. He stands before God, the majesty of God. He's in the presence of God. And God said, who will go for us? Notice plural, the Trinity. Who will go for us? And Isaiah says, here am I, send me. I love what Mary said when she found the news that she was going to deliver the Savior of the world. May it be done to me as you have said. A great heart. She was ready to do God's will. They each struggled with God's will and needed encouragement. Now what can you do to determine God's will and to help others discern God's will? Let me give you some practical questions and practical steps as we wind this down. Henry Blackaby raises these questions we need to be asking ourselves. First, where is God at work in my life? That helps you prioritize what is God's will for your life? You know, you're worried about four or five different things. Well, where is God working right now? And that's the place that you need to, to be. You need to figure that out. Yes, these, are things are other, are, these other things are important, but this, if this is where God is working, that's where I want to focus in discerning God's will. Secondly, what has he said to me lately? Have you heard from the Lord? Not a voice. But he's moved in your heart. He's pressed into you what you should do about a certain matter. Have you heard him? Have you positioned yourself? Have you created space for him so that you can hear him? Third, what has God told me to do that I have not yet done? I know what he told me to do, but I've not done it. Now listen. You're not going to get light on anything else you're worried about until you do the one thing that God's told you to do. You're trying to discern God's will in these other matters. Here's, here's, here, the issue is right here that you're not doing. Well, you're not going to have light on the other things until you take the step of faith and obedience. He's already told you to take. Then, what major adjustment do I have to make to get in step with God? As Blackaby says, you can't stay where you are and go with God. You've got to adjust to him. Again, God, here's where I'm going. Come and join me. That is not how it works. God says, here's where I'm going. You need to get in line, get on board and go with me. And then we experience his will. Now, what are some practical steps? Let me give you a few. Obviously, pray. You need to pray, pray, pray. I just finished a book. I read Beyond the Band of Brothers. Everybody familiar with the Band of Brothers? Tremendous book. They made a, a series, 12 episodes of Dick Winter's life. Easy Company landed in Normandy, these paratroopers, and they go all the way up to Germany at the end of the war. They, they all stay together unless they were killed. Uh, and they, they end up at Eagle's, Eagle's Nest. I cried three or four times listening to, or reading the book. It was amazing. Uh, and their journey. But this, Dick Winters was a man of faith to some degree. I don't know exactly, uh, but he went to church whenever he could. 
when he was stationed in England prior to the landing, he was there for two months. He stayed with a, a British family. Officers were able to stay with British families. They went to church, and he went to church with them, and he talked about that experience. While he was over uh, in Europe, in the European theater, he had a two-month uh, layover or furlough. And he goes to, uh, back to England, and he's, he's praying. And he said, my prayer life changed during the war. He said, I used to pray about trivial things. He said, I don't pray that way anymore. He said, I pray that God would just let me live another day. And then he went back and finished out the war. God cares about the little things in your life. The little things that are important. All things are important. But when I heard that, I was on my way to see my dad and uh, visit a couple of days with him. And I said, Dad, I said, how do you discern between praying about the trivial things and the important things? I said, I, I wonder sometimes if I'm praying about trivial things. And we talked about, we both knew God cares about all things. But, <clears throat> but I came to, to believe that he cares about the little things that are important, but there are little things that are not important. And there are some big things I think are important that are not important. It's trivial. His experience in the war filtered all that out. And so ask God to give you a discerning spirit. If you're in doubt, I say pray. God will clear it up. Pray. Fast. Uh, I've encouraged the church last Sunday to start fasting and praying about your commitment to generations. Of course, you're maybe praying and fasting about other things. It's been great. Other people have been telling me in the church about already their experience in fasting and what God is revealing, what God is teaching them. So we have a fasting guide. It's on the website. You'll see a resource tab. It'll tell you uh, how to fast before, during, and after, do's and don'ts. It's very important. Uh, and then on our Facebook page, there's a link that you can receive that as well. Get into God's Word. As I said last Sunday about prayer and fasting, sometimes we fast about things that, we, that come upon us. But Jesus talks about the demoniac and how the disciples um, could not cast the demon out of this man. And he says these things come out by prayer and fasting. But the real point of what he's talking about is you need to be ready. You need to be prepared before anything happens. They were negligent in fasting before the event took place. And that's true about God's Word. Why am I reading God's Word, studying God's Word, meditating on God's Word? It's not that when all of a sudden I've got an issue to pray about, I start digging up, you know, where is it? Oh, here it is. Okay, yeah, that verse says this. Dangerous. But if I'm in God's Word ahead of time and the issue comes, I'm in line. I'm prepared spiritually to hear God speak to me. And sometimes what I've already read about answers that issue. Sometimes years prior. And then all of a sudden you say, wait, I remember that verse. God brings it to your mind and it applies to that situation. Serve God. If you're trying to discern God's will, start serving. Because in your time and place of service... That you'll be involved and something will be said or somebody will give a prayer or a song will be sung or something will happen in that moment and God reveals himself. This is not for them, this is for you as you're serving the Lord. 
Seek counsel. Talk to those who have gone ahead of you about this matter. Um, they're already, they, they've gone what you've gone through or going through. They'll help you. But I believe that God's Word teaches us to go on the light that He's given you. If you don't have the light, don't go. That's one of the worst things you can do. But if you go on the light that you have, and listen, the last point I want to make is this. God will lovingly guide you as you're trying to do, to know and do His will. And I want to end with this illustration personally. I think it's been a while since I've shared it. I asked around and they said, oh, it's been a while since you've said this, Pastor. So we've got a lot of new people in our church. But I want to illustrate the, the struggle that Karen and I had in discerning God's will when we came here to this church in 1994. I was in Oklahoma. Uh, I was serving there as an associate pastor. This church had come to me in, I think, early 1994, maybe late 93, and they asked me to consider being their pastor. Uh, they came uh, to, uh, to Oklahoma. We interviewed. I came here. Karen and I, we visited a couple of times and felt like God was moving and leading us, and it got to the point where we had to make a decision. Are we going to accept the invitation, the call to come to this church? And I was going back and forth on this decision. Karen was expecting our fourth child. Uh, there are a lot of good things that were taking place in ministry where we were serving. But I sensed there was a restlessness that maybe God's preparing me for a change. <clears throat> and we fasted, we prayed, we fasted, we prayed. And, uh, and I came to the decision that it was not God's will for me to come. So I remember it very well. It was one evening. Karen and I were sitting in the master bedroom. And Roy Beck, who's with the Lord now, he was the chairman of the committee. I said, Roy, I just don't think that this is God's will. I hung up the phone. I turned to Karen. I said, I think I made a big mistake, but I don't know. And so for six weeks, I couldn't eat. I couldn't sleep. I was miserable. It was terrible. So... Uh, you know, it's kind of back there, but you're trying to continue to do what God's called you to do. I go to Orlando, Florida. This is in June of that year, and it's the Southern Baptist Convention. I was on a committee, and so I was there to help serve on that committee at the convention. But uh, every year they elect a president of the convention. And it just so happened that they elected my previous pastor, who was Jim Henry, the pastor of First Baptist Orlando. And we had served together for five years. Well, I was trying to get to the other side of the convention center, and I thought, well, I'll just go around the back of the stage. And I, I go down this long hallway, and there's this open space, and there are lights and cameras set up, and Jim is being interviewed by the local TV station. And so he sees me walking by, and he turns and says, Hey, Mark, come here. And so I walk over, and he says, I hear you're going to Cape. <laughs> and I said, well, I said, Jim, I'm not going to Cape. I turned him down six weeks ago, but, man, I've been miserable. I can't eat or sleep. And he got out of his chair. He walked over to me, and he pulled his, uh, my shoulders in, and he said, man, I've been there. And I said, well, what do I do? He said, I turned this church down. He said, but I called him back. It took about six weeks to figure it out. And he said, you call him. And I said, well, okay. 
I walked away, and man, my head was swimming. I thought, what am I going to do? What do I say? Well, I get to the hotel that evening, and the red light's blinking on my phone. I picked it up, and my dad had left a message. This is Wednesday night. It's late. He said, Mark, he said, call me immediately. So I hung up the phone. I called him, and he said, man, you're not going to believe what happened tonight. And uh, he said, I was, uh, it was after church, and this young couple walks up to me, and they introduced themselves as Mark and Lori Strickland, who are members of this church. And they said that they were on vacation, and they were driving through downtown, going to the beach, and they saw a marquee that said, Pastor Bill Anderson, Calvary Baptist Church. And they said, well, maybe that's Mark's dad's church. Let's go to church tonight and find out. So he says, they're here at church, and they introduced themselves. And she said, my dad is Leroy Brown. He's on the search committee. And dad said, oh, I know that name. How am I going to forget Leroy Brown? Right? <laughs> so that tells you at my age, you know, I'm going to forget that, that name from that song. And, uh, and she said, my father said that if we find anybody in Florida that knows Mark to tell Mark, that my dad's been praying that he couldn't eat, sleep, and has been miserable since he made that decision. <laughs> now, think of the odds of that happening. I see Jim Henry, and then within hours, I hear this story. And I said, well, Dad, what do I do? And he said, you call Leroy Brown. That's what you do. So I called Leroy. I said, Leroy, is this story true? He said, yes, it's true. I said, stop praying. Stop praying. We reengaged, and God led us here. God lovingly guided me to his will. He knew I was trying to do the right thing. And I took a step over here, but he said, well, let's go here. But he allowed that to happen so that I would have absolute confidence that when I came, I was in His will. And I learned so much through that experience that the other times that God has led us in certain ways, it was never that complicated. It was easy to understand His will. But haven't you had that same experience where you didn't really know, but you had enough light to make a decision that you felt was God's will, but God lovingly guided you? Why can I trust God and His will? Because He's a loving Father who wants His best for you. And there are many in this room, you're questioning God's will. You, 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 you need to know God's will. And I want to encourage you today that you can know Him. And when you do, you'll experience His joy and his absolute peace in doing what he's called you to do. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? There might be somebody here today who would say, Pastor, I, I, it's hard for me to think about knowing the will of God because I don't know God. But I want to know him. I'm at a place in my life where I realize that I'm ready to submit my life to his life. I want him to be my master, my Lord my Savior. I want to have a journey of faith with Him. Well, that means, like David and Peter, that you're willing to turn from your sin, your way, and 
Turn to Christ alone for your salvation. Recognizing that he did everything that needed to take, to take place in order for your sin to be forgiven and you to have a relationship with him. So in just a moment when we sing this next song, I'm going to invite you to come and to give your heart to Christ. You may not know what to do, but we'll help you. There might be many in this room. You're, you're, you're trying to discern God's will about a matter, not just generations, but all the other stuff that's going on in your life. I want to tell you there's good news. God loves you, that he wants to help you know his will. And there are steps, practical steps that you can take to experience Christ in a very powerful and real way, as I just shared with you. Ask Him to help you. Go on the light that you have. No light, don't go. But if you have light, say, Lord, this is what I think I should do as best I know. If, if this is wrong, show me. Lead me to the right place. And he'll allow that step to happen to get you where he needs you so that you can know with confidence you're in his will. There might be others who are here today that you want to be part of our church family. You see, this is why we need each other, the body of Christ, to help each other as we're going through this, this exercise of God's will. We need that support and encouragement, that guidance, the wisdom from your experience. So we would love for you to be a part of what God is doing here through our church, in this community, and around the world. There might be others who need a quiet moment here at the altar. Maybe you want someone to pray for you. You come and let us know. Father, thank you. Thank you for the power of your word. Thank you for its truth that we can trust you and trust your character. We can place our lives into your hands. Because you love us and you want what's best for us. And you allow the struggles to take place for us to know what is best and to experience what is best. Help these who are discerning your will that they'll take the right step right now. In Jesus' name, amen.